Welcome to FYI, the four-year innovation podcast. This show offers an intellectual discussion on technologically enabled disruption, because investing in innovation starts with understanding it. To learn more, visit arc-invest.com. Arc Invest is a registered investment advisor focused on investing in disruptive innovation. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. It does not constitute either explicitly or implicitly any provision of services or products by ARC. All statements made regarding companies or securities are strictly beliefs and points of view held by ARC or podcast guests and are not endorsements or recommendations by ARC to buy, sell, or hold any security. Clients of ARC Investment Management may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to FYI, the For Your Innovation podcast. I'm Michael Cromer, a marketing associate here at ARC. Today's podcast features a segment pulled from our Big Ideas Summit 2022, which aired live on January 25th, 2022. In this segment, MSNBC's Chris Hayes interviews our CEO and CIO, Kathy Wood, on a wide range of topics spreading across all of our big ideas. Chris is a political commentator, television news anchor, activist, and author. He hosts All In with Chris Hayes, a weekday news and opinion television show on MSNBC. Hayes also hosts a weekly MSNBC podcast, Why Is This Happening? If you want to hear our analysts dive more deeply into each of ARC's 14 big ideas, visit the Research Center at arc-invest.com. Until then, please enjoy today's episode. So, Kathy, I, I, w- I really was excited to talk to you because um, I've been thinking a lot about the future um, and this series. You that have we're three doing children. Is- I have three children. children. (laughs) Right. So you think about the future for three children. I think about the future, well, for a bunch of reasons. I'm a journalist and and, um, I've been thinking about the way that we, I've been thinking a lot about how we conceive of the future in a cultural sense, you know, utopian visions versus dystopian visions. I think we're in a very like dystopian dominant moment in sort of culturally, which I think, Uh you know, makes a lot of sense. Um, But I, you know, I think about the future. The future is a dangerous thing to write about if you're a journalist because it's unwritten, but, but you're what you do is make is think about the future and then make bets on the future. You have to <laughs> you have to kind of put your money where your ideas are about the future. And I, I'm I, I'm curious, maybe broadly, what where you're thinking about where the future is going right now in a broad sense, and then we can break those out a little bit into which technologies, which innovations are going to drive that. Yes, uh, in a broad sense, we have never been uh, like this moment in history in terms of the amount of change that is about to, it's already started. We feel the ground, as you just said, shifting underneath us. It has already started, you know, five major innovation platforms evolving at the same time. You have to go back to the early 1900s to see anything like it. You had three platforms then. You had telephone, electricity, and automobile. Today you have DNA sequencing. Uh, You heard it on the conference, DNA sequencing, robotics, uh, energy storage, artificial intelligence, blockchain technologies, all of them are in exponential growth trajectories and they are converging with one another in massively important ways and profound ways. And they're going to deliver, we believe, if you just take a look at the technologies themselves, over the next 10 years, uh, we believe uh, the, the market cap 
associated with these five platforms and the 14 underlying technologies is going to scale at a 30% compound annual rate of return. These are astonishing rates of return. And if you're if you're a, a good stock picker, you'll probably do even better than that if you're focused only on innovation. So what's interesting about these five categories when you, when you lay them out is that they, they transcend atoms and bits. And that's been a place where there's been a really interesting question about innovation, right? Because we've had tremendous innovation on the digital side. No one, mm -hmm. you know, no one would really argue against that, right? Like we're, we're yes. holding, we're all holding a computer that's more powerful than the one that's sent a human to the moon, you know, at all times. So all of the stuff that we've seen with Moore's Law and all the stuff we've seen on the bit side has kind of gone along what very bullish predictions might have said. On the atom side, it's been a much different story. I mean, particularly when you look about the fact that like most people are using a combustion engine to get around. That's fundamentally not that different from the technology of a hundred years ago, Mercedes Benz century. That and that has been the place where we've it felt like we've had some real innovation roadblocks. That the yeah. physical structure that powers the world, the extraction of fossil fuel, the burning it in combustion engines, the burning it in plants, has not changed that much. And what you're saying is that that is going to change now. It is going to change for two reasons, uh, beyond the environmental concerns. Uh, one, the technologies are ready. The kind of battery technology, artificial intelligence, uh, and and, uh, and uh, robotics. Those three, actually, that's a convergence taking place in the transportation field, whether you're talking about autonomous vehicles, ultimately, or drones for parcels or food delivery and so forth. So yes, you're absolutely right. These worlds are, the digital and the physical world finally are converging because the technology is ready. And just as important, the costs are low enough. The costs were prohibitively high before, uh, especially when it came to electric vehicle sort of battery technology. But thanks to Elon Musk, and I would say also to the Chinese who are moving very quickly in this direction, uh, that is no longer true. In fact, the total cost of ownership of an electric vehicle, most people don't know this, is lower today than that for a gas-powered vehicle. Most people just look at the sticker price, yep. and we think in, in two years that they, they will be the same price. And then a few years after that, uh, we believe that electric vehicles will be 30% plus lower in price. So these cost declines continue in emerging technologies, whereas the internal combustion engine is a very mature technology. So it is not in enjoying any more cost declines. They ended a long time ago. Yeah. Is there, I mean, one thing that we've seen, it, we've seen, so if you look at um, photo, you know, PV cells, right? We, we've seen this incredible cost decline of, of solar, um, both residential and at, at large sort of commercial or industrial scale. Um, and, but we haven't necessarily, I mean, there's this question about whether that's been associated with profit and returns in those industries, because we've seen a very competitive and sometimes low, very low margin drive in the, in, for instance, PVs, um, because you've got a lot of players in the market, you've got China, you know, making them very, very cheaply. And so you've yeah. had a sort of a little bit of a strange situation in which from the consumer standpoint, from the deployment standpoint, you're getting this incredible cost plummet, but that's not necessarily converting to huge returns to the people that are players or investors in that sector. 
Right. That's a very commoditized, it's a commoditized industry. And yeah. I, I remember when China made a decision that this was one of its goals to dominate that sector, that's when the commoditization began. But there's another thing, uh, and I, I think what will change uh, the, the picture are solar roofs like uh, Tesla has designed. And, and the reason we think that's going to uh, prolifer proliferate solar over time in a more comprehensive way is because the roof will be uh, part of the house. That's how it'll be financed instead of consumer installment debt and right. cold calling and so forth. So it will just become a part of our residential infrastructure and it will become a part of our mortgage. Uh, so it'll be a very different uh, adoption cycle than we think that we've seen uh, thus far. Right, because you, it's 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 path dependent. It's built in. I mean, the same way that you you buy a house and it has a bunch of features like how it's heated and what the how the water's heated. All of that's built into the house. You buy it. You get an inspector. Obviously, those things can break down. You can replace them. But the default starting point for any home, right, is that you yeah. got something to heat the water. You don't you don't buy a home and then have to figure out how you're going to go do that, which is what still is the, 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 the reality in the residential space around energy, around electricity. Right, right. And we can add another wrinkle here, uh, part of our research, uh, uh, which we talked about during the conference, which is, you know, with the way the electrical grid is evolving, we could see Bitcoin mining become a part of that infrastructure uh, so that uh, here in St. Petersburg, for example, you know, we fill up our energy storage units uh, quite easily because it's so sunny here. The overflow could go to Bitcoin mining, which would, uh, which would accelerate the shift towards renewables uh, because the whole ecosystem will become so much more profitable over time. Right. I mean, there's, there's obviously an enormous concern about energy intensity and energy intensity of, of Bitcoin and crypto coin mining. Um, obviously uh, you want, if you're a miner, you want to go to the place where you've got the cheapest energy. And in some cases, you can imagine a universe of camped out in Arizona with, you know, free solar coming. But in a lot of places, it's, it's places, it's people getting very cheap energy through fossil fuels and coal. And it, you know, that seems unsustainable in the long run, both at the cost level and obviously from the carbon pollution standpoint. Um, how feasible do you see the conversion to, you know, there's the proof of stake question about whether we're going to get there and how quickly we're going to get there to, to reduce energy intens intensity, but also to find ways that we're not, you know, spewing, using a bunch of coal to make Bitcoin, which just seems like psychotically suicidal from a planetary standpoint. Well, I think China banning mining uh, was very helpful in that regard. Yes. And uh, so the U.S. was the biggest beneficiary of that. Uh, I think 34 or 5 percent of the mining now is taking place here in the United States. Uh, and uh, Kazakhstan uh, also. Uh, so uh, we're we're seeing uh, people like Elon Musk and Jack Dorsey, who both care an awful lot about the environment, trying to figure this problem out. And in fact, the, what I just mentioned about Bitcoin becoming a part of Bitcoin mining becoming a part of a utility ecosystem came out of research that we uh, at ARC had done, led by Brett Winton, our director of research and uh, Yassin Elmandra, who is our lead crypto analyst, working with Square, we were able to dimension 
uh, how much uh, the solar and wind would proliferate, how much faster it would proliferate with Bitcoin mining as a part of the ecosystem as opposed to without it. Uh, and uh, I think uh, I think uh, that research is starting to bear fruit. We're seeing utility ecosystems, uh, you know, they're they're getting the plot and they're they're looking for new ways to mm. profit. And in the meantime, or in the process, they will be accelerating the shift towards renewables. Ironically, given the way people talk about Bitcoin. What is um, when you talk about AI? I think when we talk about when I talk about these sort of zeitgeist moods of utopia, dystopia, um, that AI tends to be a source of a lot of dystopian angst. Um, mm -hmm. And I don't think baselessly, there's lots of reasons. Uh, yeah. There's really lots of reasons to be worried. There's 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 a, a sort of long speculative line. There's a very interesting line of philosophical inquisition into this. What's your case for, you know, utopian or 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 positive outcomes uh, that avoid the kind of worst anxieties people have about the proliferation of AI technology? Yes. Well, first, uh, let's start by agreeing that a lot of people are worried, and I think that's good news. Half of the solution is understanding the problem. And I think the reason we're understanding the problem uh, maybe a little faster than would otherwise have been the case and, and understanding it uh, more broadly is because China wants to win at this game. And, uh, and, and they are moving up the league tables in terms of semiconductor uh, chip manufacturing, uh, focusing on AI. Uh, just generally, uh, from our point of view, and what we seek to encourage is innovation that solves problems and makes the world a better place. Typically, that is what it does. Now, uh, is technology used for nef nefarious purposes? All the time, all the time. Uh, and, uh, and having, you know, cybersecurity experts out there focused on this, having the government really focused on this, I think is, um, is, is good news, is good news. But in terms of uh, solving the world's problems, we see AI uh, converging with each of the platforms, including uh, blockchain technology. Uh, we see it uh, critical to autonomous uh, taxi systems and drones, which are going to lower the cost of transportation and make it much more convenient than it is right now and much safer, much safer. Uh, we see it in the genomics space, uh, the convergence of DNA sequencing and uh, artificial intelligence and, and gene editing and other gene therapies, the co convergence of those actually curing disease. We are now have functional cures for sickle cell disease, beta thalassemia, and a rare disease called ATTR. And that latest one was an Intellia uh, gene editing solution that was done in the body, not not uh, done uh, by pulling cells out of the body. Uh, we are curing disease, could not happen without artificial intelligence. Uh, and uh, in the case of uh, blockchain technology, I think we're going to see some very interesting, we're already seeing some very interesting convergences between blockchain technology and, uh, and asset management in the form of hedge funds, uh, that employ data scientists to try and beat all the averages out there. So um, I, I don't think we'll be able to get away from artificial intelligence. I think we need to get on the right side of change here, make sure 
that we've got the right uh, experts focused on the potential problems, but then run with the with the solutions that that it offers. Let's talk a little bit about uh, Bitcoin and crypto more more broadly uh, and, yeah. and Web three platforms. I mean, to me, you know, this is something that I you can't walk around in the world anymore and not bump into it. Uh, I think I was resistant to resistant for a while to sort of uh, embedding myself and understanding it. I now have have done that and feel like I have a little bit of a better grasp. So the one big question for me is the the sort of distinction between the the blockchain and Web three infrastructure as a broadly applicable tool to build what is essentially the next version of the internet atop from the coin space. And those two are very enmeshed in a sort of cultural institutional sense right now. Obviously, the technologies are related to each other at the at the point of conception. But what is your case for how those two develop and the degree which they develop independently, such that the blockchain and Web three uh, platforms can be something that are that is much more ubiquitously used outside of the the, the coin space? Sure. Uh, well, in Big Ideas, we describe this by uh, by um, uh, using uh, the term revolutions. There are three revolutions taking place simultaneously right now. One is a money revolution. One is a, a financial services revolution. And one is a next generation internet revolution. Right. Uh, so on the money revolution, Bitcoin... And, and Ether to some extent, but Bitcoin, surely, it is the most secure network out there, um, is the first, and each one of these words is really important, the first global, private, decentralized uh, monetary system ever invented. And it is going to have profound ramifications. Just ask the people in El Salvador. And uh, recently... President Bukele of El Salvador uh, had a conversation with President Erdogan of Turkey because they are going through a currency crisis. And so I think the emerging markets are going to adopt uh, this kind of monetary system increasingly because their own monetary systems are uh, very dependent often on the dollar or on the euro or someone else who does not control uh, the population they want to they they would prefer not to be dependent on politicians. This doesn't involve politicians. Uh, so that's the monetary revolution, and we think that um, it's going to proliferate faster. Uh, emerging markets are very interested, uh, except for China, of course. Uh, they're interested in making the digital yuan uh, right. the reserve currency of Asia, and, and that's fully controlled by people. Uh, what I'm discussing is not. Uh, the second revolution is in the financial services industry. We do believe that DeFi, decentralized finance, is going to usurp the role of most financial services companies today. Most financial services companies are middlemen, and DeFi takes the middlemen out of the equation. You know, in the early early days, some of uh, some of your viewers may know of Lending Club, and it took uh, some middlemen out of the equation, was able to offer higher uh, rates to savers and lower rates uh, to borrowers and became very, very popular very quickly. We'll put that on steroids. That's what we have going on in DeFi. And again, it's a global movement. All of these are global. They are not um, 
they're not being governed by any particular nationality. Now, regulators have uh, are now turning their sights on DeFi yes. <laughs> pretty aggressively. You saw in the chart how, you know, at least once a month, twice a month, in the last year, a regulator somewhere around the world has said, hey, we've got to investigate this. And and that's not a bad thing. Uh, I think in the United States, my my observation is that regulators want to pr- protect the the little guy, the average investor. Uh, that's their mandate, and that's good. Uh, prevent uh, frauds and, and and other such things. Uh, and and yet I also found regulators not wanting to be blamed for preventing at least here in the US, from participating in the next big thing, the next big internet. We have an ethos of innovation in this country. Uh, interestingly, even though it seems today that investors are running away from it, uh, you know, it's kind of the opposite of the tech and telecom bubble when they were falling all over themselves. That was a dream. This is the reality and they're running away. Uh, but regulators want to encourage innovation. So I think uh, putting guardrails around is going to be a good thing for everyone. So that's the second. And, and I don't mean just saving and lending. Uh, I mean the full spectrum of financial services, almost anything out there. And then the third revolution is uh, the next generation uh, internet revolution. And that it, it does include NFTs. Um, and the way we like to describe uh, NFTs is, again, first, global, another big word, uh, uh, private, rules-based property rights system. So scarce and verifiable. Now, uh, anyone who has read economic history knows the key to lifting countries and people out of, proper, uh, out of poverty is uh, to put in place a property rights system that is secure and verifiable and protected. Uh, so we think this is a very big idea. A lot of people think it um, the benefits will accrue to the creator community. We love that idea, the creator community, and it and it isn't just art, right? And gaming and it's music. It's uh, we're going to find out how creative uh, people are as the NFT revolution evolves. ARC believes that the information presented is accurate and was obtained from sources that ARC believes to be reliable. However, ARC does not guarantee the accuracy or completeness of any information, and such information may be subject to change without notice from ARC. Historical results are not indications of future results. Certain of the statements contained in this podcast may be statements of future expectations and other forward-looking statements that are based on ARC's current views and assumptions and involve known and unknown risks and uncertainties that could cause actual results, performance, or events to differ materially from those expressed or implied in such statements.